are listening to the Auxiliary Gate Podcast, Kentucky's weekly horse racing discussion. And now, here are your hosts, Alan Schneider. Hey, uh, Michelle, uh, I'm not going to be able to pay July's training bill on time. Is that okay? What? Brandon Jaggers. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, it's been a it's been a rough it's been a rough month. I mean, I, I I'm, I'm kind of short on cash. Is there is there any way you could give me like maybe sixty to ninety days to get caught up? Cece, for real? Oh my goodness, I'm so tired of y'all's BS. And me, Cece brought us. Hello, Michelle. Hello. She hung up. The auxiliary gate. Big problem. Welcome to episode number 133 of the Auxiliary Gate Podcast. It's February the 13th, 2023, on a Monday evening. I'm joined, as always, by Alan Schneider. What's up? Um, I stayed late to watch Super Bowl last night, so, you know, this is like 6 o'clock we're doing this, man. I hope it ends pretty soon. i got to get to bed. Man, you lead such a different life than me. I know, I know, but I do get it. Hey, man, I, I'm I'm wanting to retire from my job. I'm I'm ready to, I'm ready to move on. I'm ready to move on. I've, I've been in my job for almost 26 years. It's time to move on. So I'm looking for other opportunities. So let's keep that in mind. So maybe I'll get to start staying up late like normal people do and stuff. But uh, yeah, I think I'm ready to uh, bridge that gap. So did you pick the winner of the Super Bowl? Ah, uh, did I pick? I mean, I didn't care who won. I, I'm not. I'm, I don't know. I like seeing Jalen Hurts win, so I'm picking the winner. I don't, I don't really think about picking the winner. I, I'm, I'm all about sportsmanship, man. I just want to see a good game. And it was a good game for about 58 and a half minutes, I'd say. What about the defensive holding call? I was not a fan. I'll be honest with you, I'm not a fan of that. Uh, again, I feel like I, sometimes I can say this because I don't bet on the games, so I don't have that uh, inherent bias built in. I'm not a fan of either team. I don't dislike either team. I'm actually genuine. Unlike a lot of people, I'm genuinely there just to watch the game. I love the sport of football. Um, that penalty was weak, man. It was weak. That was, uh, and I'm not one to really get on officiating, jump on stewards. That's for people on the internet who have, you know, need better things to do in life. But in this case, after what happened against in the Cincinnati game, man, you don't you don't throw that flag, in my opinion. Um, did he did he maybe do a little something? Yeah, but I mean. That's on every play, and it's the nature of the play. It was third and nine, I think. I hear people keep saying that uh, Philadelphia never stopped them. They they stopped them there. <laughs> they stopped them right there, and then they got a a free play out of it. And once once they flew that flag, anybody knows anything about the game of football? The game was over at that point. That it was so anticlimactic. You you throw that weak flag, Cincinnati, Kansas City at that point just basically has to kneel down, run the clock out, and kick the field goal. Philadelphia is helpless at that point, so. I mean, the game was full of drama. It looked like it was leaning towards drama. You know, Kansas City kicks that field goal. They go up three. Philadelphia's got a minute and a half. Maybe Kansas City stops them. Maybe Philadelphia kicks a field goal. We go to overtime in the Super Bowl. Maybe Philadelphia gets a touchdown. Unlike like a lot of people out there, I would like to have seen what would have happened. But uh, in my mind, it was just anticlimactic. I mean, I'm sure you've got to agree with me, right? Yeah, well, the same thing happened last year. Yes, it, it did. In the Rams-Bengals game, Bengals had the Rams stop third and something, third and goal maybe, and was going to hold them to a field goal. And uh, they called the same same thing, called the same, same it was defensive holding, right? Or, or maybe it, 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 it could have been pass interference, but it was the same same concept. I mean, it, the guy just had a had a hand on him just a, a little bit, and uh, they they called it. And then like the Rams scored a, a play or two later and won the, won the Super Bowl. I mean, it was the same same thing. I, I I mean, I, it's like in horse racing. I think you want consistency. Yes, yes. In the calls that they make, and I, I tell you what, I, I think they they do a good job here. I don't agree with. Uh, I don't. I don't agree with uh, the, uh, the the Kentucky stewards' uh, point of view when it comes to DQs, but uh, at least they're consistent, and mm-hmm. that's all you can ask for. I agree with that. And, you know, I think it's Barbara Borden's, uh, uh, that's her modus operandi 
is that uh, a foul is a foul. It doesn't matter if it happens a, a stride before the wire or at the top of the stretch. If you don't hold a straight course and you foul another horse, you're coming down. Whether or not, whether or not that you uh, uh, cost the uh, the runner up or whoever that you fouled a placing. Now I don't agree with that. I'm more of a uh, what, what's it called a uh, contrarian. It's like a classic. Something they do in Europe. Category one. They yeah. do a category one where you know they'll they'll uh, suspend the jockey for three days or five days or whatever and leave the leave the winner up if they thought it didn't cost placing. But my point is that it's uh, consistency. Now, I'll be honest with you, I was half-heartedly watching the game until the very end. I don't know a lot of defensive holding calls that they made in that game. Exactly, and that goes back to people say, well, it was a hold. It's like there was a lot of those in the game, if that's the case, yes. Some more egregious than that. You just – you can't – in that instance, you can't throw it in that, in that regard. And, yes, I, I get all the – because I'm a contrarian too, don't get me wrong, but hey, it's a foul. Yes, that, that foul was there 40 times, every pass attempt earlier in the game. So, so you're right. You're exactly right. But I mean, take nothing away from Kansas City. Patrick Holmes is fantastic. Kansas City's fantastic. I like him. But it's just, it's just, for fans who are invested in that game, man, that last minute and a half could have been something um, historic, right? So, yeah. the, uh, the quarterback play in the league is like, it's, it's, as Insane. good as it's ever been. Right. I'd agree with that. If you don't have a quarterback, then you're doomed now. And, you know, it's, it's especially toward guys that can actually make plays with their feet as well as pass the ball. And there's mm-hmm. just not very many people that can do that. Maybe, what, 12, 10 or 12 in the league that can uh, that are actually worth a damn, and then the rest of them are, you know. Journeymen uh, or just filling yeah, rosters, and they're, they're, they're fine. Check. They're, they're game managers. Yeah. It takes a, in the NFL to me. It takes a strong pass rush. It takes a playmaking receivers and, and a quarterback. I think those are the the biggest things. Of course, never hurt, in, in, a, in a game in a league also where all games have a tendency to go down the wire. Never hurts to have a good kicker as well too. So uh, I think that's where. Of course, I'm not a I don't work I don't work in the offices of the NFL, but that's that's where I would look. All right, let's switch gears. Uh, we're moving right along here. Uh, Big weekend on the Triple Crown Trail. Well, not necessarily a big weekend, but a uh, an eventful weekend. Had a, a few derby preps. And uh, leading off, I will talk about the Sam Davis. Uh, the uh, My first question to you is, can you name all the members of the Rat Pack? Oh, uh, let's see. There's I bet you I get pretty close. There's Dean Martin, Frank Sinatra, Sam E. Davis. Um, e does not stand for I. Um, let me think. Uh, Joey, Joey Bishop. Right. Joey, jo- Joey Bishop is one. Is there one more maybe? What about, uh, I don't think he was a member. Remember Mr. Roper from the Three's Company? Was he, he was in Norman one of Fell. Those, Norman Fell. Was he, he, he wasn't one, was he? I don't think he was. He's a fringe guy like, uh. He'd be like me. Yeah. The, the great a, comedian, uh, who always, oh my God, I'm drawing a blank. The old guy that, Oh, Don Rickles. Don Rickles like a French guy and stuff, but I think the, the yeah, four I mentioned my yeah, main yeah. guys. Yeah. Uh, there, there's more, but I can't even remember any of them. But, uh, anyway, that, that, that's the, uh, the Sam Davis was running Tampa, a horse named Litigate One, and that was for Fletcher. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the son of uh, Blaine out of a mine shaft mare for Centennial Farms. Uh, Centennial Farms owned a Triple Crown race winner. Who was that? Did you know that off the top of your head? Oh, it's probably the Belmont. Back in the nineties, early nineties, Co- Colonial Fair. Yes, sir. Uh, Julie. Did Crump. I get that? Yeah, Julie, Julie Crump, Crump. Colonial Fair. I think it's nineteen ninety-three. I want to uh, be. Just, I did not look that up. I um, just happened to somehow know that. Don't ask me why. But to litigate one, I, I don't think it was a very good field. Uh, Groveland and allowance winner, or maybe a maiden winner, allowance runner up, I think was second. Horse named Classic Car Wash was third. Not, not a great race. I think Litigate earned like a, maybe a 76 buyer. Uh, horse probably could, could improve. I think that was just his third start. So you may, may hear from him down the line. Uh, but, uh, and then on that undercard, uh, they had a nice, uh, Philly race, three Philly race, uh, maybe the Suncoast Stakes, I think is the name of it, but it was, uh, won by Dreaming of Snow. Over the uh, defending or the reigning two-year-old Philly champion wagon wheel, and then a, another Wonder Philly, Wheel, Wonder Wheel, 
Did I say wagon wheel? You did. No wonder I couldn't find that horse on Twitter. I, I talked to wagon wheel, wonder wheel. And then of course, Julia Shining was third. And that's the, uh, the full sister to Malathot. Uh, any chance you saw that race? I did. Actually, I did bet that race. I bet that race because I thought, because I was against Julia Shining, especially the way the track seemed to be playing. I watched a couple of races, felt like the, with the weather, felt like it, it was playing speed. I thought Wonder would be close for the pace. I would have loved to try to beat Wonder Will, but I thought Wonder Will would win the race, even though it was, um, even though it was her debut. And sometimes you got to really watch taking short prices on three-year-old horses debuting. And I thought the way to play the race was to, to, um, cause sometimes superfectors in big races can pay more than they should if you can beat the public to where they think, where everyone thinks it's going to go. And uh, I thought Julia, Julia Shining was just that grinding type who does not have that burst of speed. And the track profile wasn't playing to her style. I thought I thought the bet was putting Wonder Wheel on top, and then maybe Julia shining fourth, maybe a little bit in third. But as it turns out, I wasn't completely wrong. Just Wonder Wheel couldn't catch the winner, and that may have been the bias. That may be in Wonder Wheel being a little bit short. I'm up in the air whether it was a good effort by Wonder Wheel or not. I don't know because he did keep coming. Uh, the I, maybe he needs a race. I'm a little iffy on what I think about her in that spot. What What do you think? Well, yeah, she was under a drive. I'm talking about Julia Shining. She was under a drive the entire yeah. race, except it felt like even out of the gate, you know. But that's what she does. Uh, she's going. She, yeah, she's going to need a uh, a long stretch. I would think Belmont Park would be perfect for her. Uh, some type of race there, or maybe even Saratoga. Uh, but uh, you know, Malathot, she had that big long stride, and, and she came back to win the Ashland Stakes. Probably, in, I think, in her second. Well, maybe that was her three-year-old debut. But and then went on to win the Oaks, so uh, I would expect we'll see maybe Julia Shining show up at Keeneland. Maybe and but, but Wonder Wheel. I mean, what do you make of Wonder Wheel's effort? Wonder Wheel, uh, I don't know. It was a prep, you know. That this is not this is not the race they wanted to win. I'm sure. So I would I would have thought she would have won that race with a sea level effort, but obviously she didn't. And then the racetrack may have something to do with that. But uh, this race earned a bigger buyer than the the Sam Davis. What did it so, come back at? I believe it came back like 82, 83. And I can't bet a horse. I can't bet a, even though I like, I like betting long shots, I can't bet a horse named Dreaming of Snow because I will never dream of snow. So, no. Well, I, 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 I haven't that in a long time. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, and then uh, to, uh, yesterday there was a three-year-old at Tampa for Fletcher that uh, one named, and where's my notes, Kings Barnes. And this is a horse that's uh, fairly interesting. Interesting enough that I actually put ten dollars on her on the uh, Derby Future wager. What'd you get? What's the odds? Thirty-five to one. Thirty-five to one. This horse kind of reminded me that this is the the path they took with Always Dreaming. They they went to they went to Tampa, and I don't remember if they won a lounge race or a maiden race. Okay, so this horse broke his maiden at Gulfstream. And then they took him to Tampa, and of course that was yesterday. I don't have any info on the horse. I just watched the race. The horse looked like he's professional. He's the son of Uncle Mo out of a Tappet mare for Spinthrift Farm, and I think this horse probably has a bright future. I would guess that they're going to show up in the Florida Derby next. But uh, worth watching. Uh, I think this, I don't think he beat much. He beat a bunch of tomato cans. So, but. Always dreaming did the same thing. He beat he beat a bunch of dogs at uh, at Gulfstream in Tampa. So, who's the who's the worst Derby winner you've seen? Going, you know, I mean, you since you've mentioned the horse's name, I'm gonna tell you who I think it is. You talking about? Well, I mean, Country House is the least accomplished. I, I guess I can see that, but then since he never raced again, I guess. I, I guess always dreaming is bad after after the Derby. He never run a step after that. Mm-hmm. People talk about Rich Strike. Rich Strike's been competitive. I always dream of it, but it's terrible. And he's been a bad sire. Yeah, Rich Strike is secretary to always dream. Oh, I agree with that. Yeah, yeah. It's just he had the one – he peaked on that one day. He got hot in Florida. And, I mean, there's been some other ones that have been, you know, less than less than brilliant after the Derby. But, I mean, put always dreaming at the top of the list for me. So we had Scott Shapiro on our last pod, and we talked about the Derby future wage. I've already alluded to it once, but – I, I was all set to make a wager on the number 40, all others, at yes. 72, but the, the, the bottom dropped out, and uh, <laughs> it went off at 2-1. to one. I thought that was just 
That's not I, bad. I think two to one's fair. I, I, did, I couldn't get excited over it. And I would have taken that. All others two to one. I mean, you get all the Baffert horses, and then you get any any type of surprises in the next few weeks. But then uh, Forte was second choice for Pletcher. The two year old champ was eight to one. That's ridiculous. I would never take that bet. That's stupid. Yeah, he's not started yet. He hasn't started, yeah. and he, hasn't, yeah. he he's good. I mean, he may win the race. Hell, you'll get on Derby Day. He'll you know, let's say he wins both of his preps. He'll be five to one. That's like. Yeah, I'd rather five to one making the race and eight to one. I have no freaking clue, but go ahead. Third choice. This is even more of a surprise. Uh, the the Philly Hoosier Philly. Well, that's insane. That's is eleven to one. It went off eleven to one. So I mean, I see. Why I, I talk about these future wagers and stuff. I don't. Know, people get excited about them, but I mean, how do you make Hoosier Philly has yet to run? And hell, Hoosier Philly, I think I saw was nine to five, eight to five, or something this weekend. And I don't know. Hell, she'll be. Uh, Six to five or something. No, she's six to five in the morning line, which she'll never be six to five by post time. But she may not run in the race. It's eleven to one. What? Hasn't run this year. I don't know where that came from, but there's a I lot of sentiment in her favor. So, but I think yeah, she's great. She could win the race. Don't get me wrong. But what is Hoosier Philly going to have to do between now and let's say she blitzes the fields and she goes and she does go she does go in the Derby. Um. She's she's still I mean even if she runs her ass off and is just the second coming she'll still get six or seven to one on Derby Day if she runs in the Derby right so um, and that's a, that's a best case scenario. You're preaching so, to the choir. I know I know it's just okay people. Yeah, the good news is uh, we get to see her run Saturday in the, uh, in the Rachel Alexandra Stakes in a really short six horse field and nobody wants to take her on. Is that going to be the grade one, Rachel Alexander? Should be the grade one? Yeah, probably should be. It's grade two. Yeah. So it's, uh, you know, and then the Risen Stars immediately after that. And that's a, that's that's a hell of a race. That's a good race. Go to 14. I mean, looking down through here, determinedly, uh, Harlow Cap is a, a fake Steve Asbuson runner coming from the Baffert Barn huh. from California. Uh, Sun Thunder, Tappet's Conquest, Curly Jack, two fills. Victory formation drew the 13 hole, so it's almost you got to play against him, right? And uh, Private Creed will try to transfer his form from turf to dirt. Sounds like uh, off the top of my head, I'm thinking Tappet's Conquest and two fills. So that's off the top of my head. But you know, we're that six days a, out. Should be a fun race. That's that's a always a fun card. Um, yeah, kudos to the uh, the fairgrounds crew. For uh, the the people working on the scene, that that that's a hell of a race they put together. They, they got a hell of a card coming up. Yeah, no doubt about it. Okay, well that's enough uh, chitter chatter. I right. agree. It's enough of that shit. All right, so I think you've got uh, you've got the honors for introducing our next guest. Yes, CC. We uh, tonight we do welcome back another true friend of the pod, in Jockey Farron Peterson. Now, we're admittedly big fans of Farron, the jockey, but even bigger fans of Farron, the person. And a big reason why is the humanitarian work she does all over the world. You know, the stuff that truly matters. Horse racing is nice. We enjoy it. But Farron not only excels at that, she uh, she excels at the things in life that really do matter. We're going to talk about a little bit of that tonight. Because she recently returned from a, another two-week missionary trip in the incredibly dangerous conflict zones of Southeast Asia. And she rejoins us to discuss that mission of aid, relief, and the Lord's work, as well as being one of our uh, favorite, absolute favorite kick-ass jockeys. So with that, let's say hi to Miss Farron Peterson. Farron, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Good to be reunited with you guys. Well, yeah, we uh, we mean it. You are one, uh, one of our favorites. Uh, you ought to be an analyst one day. You ever thought about being an analyst down the road? You speak so well. Never no, crossed your mind? I haven't. Because I'm going to be a jockey as long as Perry Oots, so I don't oh. know. It's going to take a while. That's yeah, going to take a while. <laughs> uh, well, like I said, first off, how is life treating? Before we get into the, the, the overseas trip, uh, how is life treating today? Is everything going well? It's going well. The winter has been much easier on us this year. A lot less Damn cold right. days. Um, enjoying getting on horses at all three tracks now that they have trackside open this winter. And it's just great that we have full fields at Turfway. Uh, I love being on the Kentucky circuit because you just have 
more horses than you have stalls and that's a nice problem to have so as long as you're willing to drive around and work hard there's so many horses to get on and so many opportunities yeah i'm gonna ask about driving a little bit because i i drive a lot but mm-hmm. you've got me beat, i'm hoping so. it helps my tax return this year it's it better <laughs> it better we're gonna talk about that here in a second but firstly first and foremost we want we really do want to get to the important stuff because uh this relief mission you went on uh, mm-hmm. You haven't had a chance to talk about it, but um, it's not your first, by the way. You've done several others. We've talked about them in the past. You're welcome to talk about those, too. But you took off to Southeast Asia to do relief work, to do charity work. Um, I'll I'll just give you the floor and explain the whys, where's, what's, and how's. But you stopped being a jockey for a couple of weeks in Kentucky, and you traveled across the globe to do important work. Tell us about it. Yeah, so I'd worked with this group in 2015 and 2017, and it was always my goal to keep coming back every couple of years. Um, There was a vet who used to go before me, and he had passed away of cancer, and I never got to meet him. But it was neat because I've used his old notes about the work he did and the medications he brought, and so I've carried on his legacy without him ever meeting me. But it was a professor when I was an undergrad that I'd met with because I wanted to find out about doing veterinary work. I knew about human doctors going and doing this kind of work, but I thought, well, someone needs to take care of the animals who take care of the people in these villages. So she happened to be friends with the leader of the Free Burma Rangers, Dave Eubank. So she told me about the opportunity. And um, then after I graduated vet school in 2019, then the following year was COVID. And so I hadn't been able to travel internationally for a couple of years. And this spring, one of the long-term volunteers, she's actually also from California, but she lives there now and has started her family out there. So she's been one that I've kept in contact with. And she reached out to me and said that they'd had four horses die that year. And three of them I'd worked closely with and knew those horses. And, you know, when you have a relationship with them, it really hits close to home. And then they'd had problems in the village where they'd had all the swine wiped out and all the chickens so it sounded like different viruses that went through so they were just pretty devastated about some of the animal losses and there are no vets who go out there because it is dangerous and it's really strenuous uh, trekking through those mountains and backpacking and bathing in rivers doing your laundry in the river um, eating whatever they cook for you in the village so it's not something that just any veterinarian could do so I think I have a few gifts that allow me to give back to this specific organization. So when they reached out in the spring, I said, well, I don't think I'll be able to go this year because we always go in the dry season. So kind of around November, December. Um, And I said, I'd like to get more established on the Kentucky circuit so that the trainers understand that I'm here to stay and it'll be a little Mm -hmm. bit easier to get away then. But with horse racing, it's really never easy to get away because it is year round and you know, even if you're out for a couple of weeks, it's just hard to get those mounts back. So I remember I told them, well, you know, I'll, I'll pray about it and I'll keep thinking about this, but probably in the next few years I can come. And that summer at Ellis Park, I remember one weekend just really feeling like, okay, you know, this is important to me. It is my calling and horse racing is so up and down. It's like, you can't really guarantee your next mount anyway. So I thought, if this is what I'm so passionate about and I feel called to do this this year, then I'm just going to make it a priority. And I can't think that far ahead and wonder which horses will be running during that month. I'm just going to commit to going. So I did. And I left on Thanksgiving and then I missed like the first two weeks of Turfway and came back. But it was one of the most beneficial things I did all year. And even just to be refreshing for me to be off the grid, no access to the cell phone, no access to follow my racehorses, and I knew which ones would be running. But just to be able to give that up for two weeks and think, this is important, I'm going to put my time into this, and keeps you incredibly fit, so that's great. (laughs) And working with horses in a different dynamic, and just to refresh your mind and then come back and get back right into racing. Yeah, because it's a big gamble, right, And for for any rider, but you get your business lined up and, but you know what, you feel like there's something more important out there. And it's like, 
I got to make a decision and I'll, I'll get my business back. Or hopefully the people will understand more importantly. Mm-hmm. And it's like, look, this was important to me. This is not important to me, but this is important to humanity. And mm-hmm. uh, I can see where it's, it's, it is a gamble, but I'm confident you made the right gamble because I know, I know some of the work you were doing. And I guess one of the things I'm interested about is how did the people and the animals for that matter, how, how did they receive you out there? I mean, are you, do they are you like excited to have you there? Do they know why you're there? Does it uh, how, how how are you how do they handle you out there? Yeah, it's pretty amazing because the village leaders and also all the people that work with the mules. So there are about five people who have that delegation in the city to be the mule men and be in charge of that mule team. They all are eager to learn. They came with questions. We work with a translator, but it's amazing to see coming in as a blonde female. Mm-hmm. who looks very young, that they respect me and they want to learn from me. And because you can't teach people something that they don't want to learn. And to f- provide information and teaching that has longevity and is going to outlast me, because if I only can do something useful for two weeks and it's not going to be continued, then it's not really worth my time. So it's it's neat that it's a team effort and there have been a few village leaders that I've worked with several times and they remembered me and they even remembered past cases and things I'd taught them and then to build on new relationships this time and when I've gone to these remote villages because every day I was hiking about an hour at least to different villages around um, the main base camp and people would tell me that they've never met a vet before and there's just no access to veterinary care. So how many parts of the world can you go to where there's just literally no veterinary access? So it makes you feel like, wow. So it makes you feel like your time is well spent. And every single day that I was in the jungle was beneficial. And there was always something more that they wanted to learn from me. That's just, that's amazing. Um, And I mentioned this to you all fair or whatever, but doing a little research on this area. This is unlike other countries. I mean, there is a wide variety of different ethnicities there. And the reason is, is because people have been driven out of their their homes. They've been displaced over the year, over the years of what's been going on in that area and, and such. So you do have a multiple ethnicities there. I have to think you mentioned a translator, but I have to think language barriers, some sort of was that a roadblock at all? Or I mean, how, was communication tough? It's actually amazing when you're in that circumstance, how well you can communicate with people when you have a common goal. And sometimes I would just sort of sit back and observe this and realize good friendships that I created with people who can't speak the same language as me. um, It's pretty amazing. So it's not something that you could experience just working in the U.S., but to be in that kind of um, a culture where you're right, depending on what state they're from, what surrounding country they're from, can all be different languages and to even see the way that they interact with each other and that it doesn't matter where they come from. They want to help each other. And there's just this really strong sense of community. And even there are different religions based there and no matter what, they're just united for a common goal. That's, that's awesome. Well, we, you know, we've talked in the past about your fitness routine and of course you're very, very dedicated (laughs) uh, to say the least. And but in this case, in this instance, you have to be because Cece and I just couldn't pick up. If we had the kind of knowledge you do, we couldn't just pick up and go out there. You had to have an elite level of athleticism to be able to go out there and actually help people. It sounds bizarre, but because of the terrain, the mountains, the mm-hmm. jungle, uh, this is not for the faint of heart physically. Um kind of explain that. I mean, they don't just take anybody, not that they wouldn't want them, but you just have to be able to keep up. Right. Because the villagers, it's amazing how strong these people are. And even just when you look at their build and their calves and these people can terrain these mountains in flip flops. And we were saying even their toes are set apart wider. So it's like, you know, they're so adapted for this kind of environment So for us to come in as volunteers and to slow them down and potentially be, um, you know, a danger in any way would be a problem for a village because you have to think in that village mindset. It's not an individualistic society like the U.S. And so if you're the weakest link, 
you are a threat. So um, the Free Burma Rangers, this organization, they really take that seriously. And when you come, they haven't required it for doctors because it's so important to get doctors in there. And so mm-hmm. I've always had a free rite of passage to come in. But this time being my third time, I thought, oh, I want to pass the fitness test with these other volunteers just to be a team player and to show, you know, that I can do it. Obviously, I've proven that because I've been able to backpack through the mountains each time. But when you come after you fly for about 24 hours with three layovers getting from the U.S. into Asia, there's a 10 kilometer test run that you have to do with the group. And it's straight up a mountain. There's no flat part. And you have to make it under an hour and 20 minutes. So I ran it in an hour 11. And I was the second fastest. So I felt pretty good about that. But honestly, I'm always on top of my fitness as a jockey. And getting ready for this. Because I know what it takes. I was finding every stair climb, every hill I could run. And just doing that couple of months um, prior to going on this trip because when you're going up these mountains it's a lot of um, false peaks so you think you're there and then you just turn a little bit and you keep going up and once you finally get to the top you go straight back down just to do it again I've always said I wish I could put in a a zip line system it's very frustrating going back down after you did all that work and as you know well if you've done any mountain climbing Going down can almost be more tiring as you're trying not to slip and stabilize yourself. Yeah, so I landed, ran the 10K, and um, then had a day off, was just gathering up my medical supplies, and then did the big backpack into the jungle, which takes a full day. It's about 10 hours, and you're just going up and down, and whatever you want to carry in your pack, you have to carry. So I remember the first time bringing more snacks like nuts and dried fruit. And as I'm going up and down, I'm just passing them out to whoever wants it. I think I don't care what I have to eat for the next two weeks. (laughs) I just want a lighter load. I can understand that Uh, because it gives some perspective to people. And I think you mentioned to me that the people who usually do this, who who make the cut, so to speak, they're like ultra marathoners, not marathoners. Mm -hmm. Oh, the guys who do 140 miles, Mm -hmm. you know, the guys who swim, who run a 26 mile race, who will swim three miles and then bike for 110. That's an ultra marathon. Those are the guys who are equipped to do this. So the fact that you're able to keep up with them, pretty damn impressive. And I'd also had to give a little perspective because someone who's run a lot of 10 Ks in my day, even as, even though I'm old and fat, uh, <laughs> I, t- I would generally run them and I'm fairly slow. I mean, I would you know, do nine minute miles. It was eight and a half minute miles when I was in a little bit better shape, but uh, that's 52. I would be 52 minutes would be a really good time for me doing a 10 K. Mm-hmm. You did that 10K up a mountain carrying a backpack in 111. Um, that, fair you know, it's pretty impressive, right? Thank you. Yeah, that's that's something else because I do know. I, do <laughs> I didn't know have anything to that. compare it to because I've never been a marathon or half marathon runner. I just run for fitness. So I was running really on flat sure concrete what? with no backpack. Uh-huh. The only backpack I had was my gut. Uh huh. <laughs> so I was handicapped. Yeah, a at least bit. I'm light. That probably helps me getting up mountains. That is impressive. So, I guess, uh, what's your biggest accomplishment going there? What, what are you most proud of in particular? I think just being able to lead and teach and have people respect that coming from a different culture and um, not understanding, you know, we can't fully understand what these people have been through, what they've seen what they've been born into. And so it's humbling to think that they would be willing to listen to me and wanting to listen to me because you just feel like, who am I to teach these people? Mm -hmm. You know? And so this is probably the dumbest question I'm going to ask you because I do know you well enough now to, do you want to go back? Absolutely. Yeah. I knew the answer to that. That next year, the year after, just whatever comes up. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely within the next few years. And that that can just be a constant thing as I keep developing these relationships. And it's neat to work with the long-term volunteers. Every time there are different short-term volunteers that I get to meet. And I remember one of the first times I went in, um, an ophthalmologist went in and he was prescribing glasses for kids who never knew that they even had 
any wow. eyesight problems. So you just think, wow, that's mind boggling that they've never realized they could see more clearly. And all of a sudden you give them that gift. And then we have different nurses and teachers. And it's so fun to see everyone's different gift in that it doesn't matter what you're trained in. And if you've gone to, you know, a doctorate school, it's like everyone has a gift and they just need to figure out what it is. Well said, Farron, well said. Uh, one quick thing for I said, we'll change gears once I send it to CC, but how glad were you to be back home after that flight? I'm guessing that shower felt pretty good. That bed felt pretty good, though, in fairness. <laughs> yes, the hot yeah. shower was great, but I did miss it. I'm, um, I do a lot of trail running out here, and when I was in the jungles, I'd always take at least one mule with me just mm-hmm. to kind of get to know them on an individual level because I was getting to know them as a herd. And I think you learn a lot about your patients just by being around them. And so I'd always say to my friends, I miss having a mule to run with. <laughs> well, are you asking me to run with you? Because I'm, I'm about to slow. Yeah, is that mule. close enough? <laughs> That's close enough. Yeah. Uh-huh. I am a jackass, so that might work out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Some of them were really tough to run with, too. I'm mm-hmm. like, don't you leave me stranded here. <laughs> Come no, with me. You, you'll leave me in the dust. All right, Cece, have at it. Well. I've got to ask about uh, food because it's mainly what I care about in my life. What, what's the cuisine like there? What, what's the setup for, for the people that live there? What I mean, what was that it's, like? Yeah, it's mostly, no, it was, where I was, it was all right. It was local vegetables, a lot of pumpkin, which I like. So it's kind of oh. like squash. Oh, God. And always rice. So rice for breakfast. And um, they would have this pea soup. It kind of reminded me of a split pea soup and then a lot of eggs and then sometimes beef and on Christmas I wasn't there this year on Christmas but the last two times I went on my Christmas holidays from school they would offer us chicken feet which I never did have but it was there mm-hmm. um but for the most part they um they do a good job cooking and I like vegetables so it works no problems adjusting to that type of lifestyle no, and luckily I have a hearty stomach, and I think that's always been helpful with the travel I've done. I've never gotten food poisoning, which is pretty amazing, considering yeah. all the – I've spent a summer in Africa, never had any problems, because I can't imagine being on a 24-hour flight and having to deal with that. What about water? Uh, they boil it for us, and I've never had water poisoning. I take doxycycline for anti-malaria the whole time I'm in the jungle. And I don't have any side effects from that either, where some people say that they can feel when they're on like a long-term antibiotic, but that's never bothered me. So seems like my body is built for this jungle life. <laughs> what about uh, like sleeping arrangements and, and their, their housing infrastructure? How, what was that like? That was a little bit hard to get used to because you sleep in a hammock. So the first night I'd strung it a little too tight. So every time I'd move, I'd think, is this going to flip on me? And um, one time I strung my hammock right under the web of a giant banana spider. Those things are huge. They don't bite, but I don't care. It doesn't matter. I want to be sleeping underneath a banana spider. And then there are pythons in the jungle. I've never ran into one, but they have like a kind of hut bathroom set up. I remember once one of the volunteers going in at night saying there was a python in there. So I haven't had to deal so with you, that, but I usually try not to go to the bathroom at night. Yeah, what did, yeah, what did you do? What did I do? Well, I, I was asleep when that happened. I just heard about the next uh, day. Oh, and I remember one of the- my past trips, I was trying to, I was going around with one of the volunteer's daughters, and she said, oh, let's go try to find crawfish, and we can cook them up. So you get a flashlight at night, and then you can see their eyes, I guess, in the river. And then the next day, her dad's going, you know that pythons are along the river at night waiting to catch the frogs? He's like, don't do that. (laughs) So I've learned without ever having to actually run into one. They do have king cobras in the jungle, too. Never had to run into one of those. She's making it sound so appealing. appealing, (laughs) Who wants to sign up? You can run a 10K so that you can outrun a snake. And then you can eat pumpkin. (laughs) I did see... um, a python that had been killed by one of the villagers. They're pretty good. They get their bamboo sticks or something and rid them for us. But you slept outdoors. Sorry to any snake lovers listening to this. What's that? You slept outdoors mainly? Yeah, always. 
Every night? Uh-huh. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it's the dry season, but there was one night where there was a torrential downpour, which was surprising. I had a friend. that He, he did a mission in Africa, and uh, I think the journey got a little too long. They come across a vendor that sold Jif peanut butter. And they bought the the Jif peanut butter, and that it I think it about killed them. They, I don't, what do you call it when you, you, you like dysen, dysentery? Dysentery. Yeah, I think that, that I think that did him in on mission work, but <laughs> I, I can't imagine. But yeah, so uh, Farron, you, now you, you've come back to uh, Kentucky, and I've seen you ride a few races. How's the transition back to to life in the in the bluegrass treated you? Good. I remember my first two mounts back, both ran second and yes. both improved about 15 lengths. So that was encouraging. My legs after the mountains felt stronger than ever. And just coming back feeling refreshed and ready to get right back into racing. So it's nice to be away and I always miss it. I'm excited to get up every morning to go breeze horses anyways, but it's just mm-hmm. Even better, I think, when you step away and just do something different and come back with a new mindset. Where do you find yourself most mornings? You, do you make the drive to uh, to? Uh, I this call year, it. most often Turfway. Last year, I had a lot more business at Keeneland Rice Road area, and then this year, it seems like a lot more trainers who are doing well are based at Turfway. So it's just interesting how people kind of um, right. circulate around in different areas, and so I keep reading the charts and figuring out where the top horses are coming from and wanting to go target those barns. So that's what I found. Do, do you do the hustling for like when you want to exercise a horse in the morning or, or does the agent do that or, or how does that work? Yeah, I've always done it myself. Um, even when I've had agents, just cause I want to get on as many horses in the morning as I can and I'm organized and I set it up and I find the trainers like to work with me anyways that way. Cause they say without a third party, then they know that, the jockey is going to show up at the right track. So I've always handled that. And then right now I'm my own agent. So I'm also starting to handle the entries and go to the draw. And it's just neat because it's expanding just my mm-hmm. understanding of the whole Kentucky horse population and, you know, get a better feeling for how different trainers horses are doing. So it's fun in the morning to be able to talk to them about how their horses ran. Cause now I'm watching the races just with a different mindset of thinking, okay, well, what horse, you know, it could be my next mount. Well, we back up just a second. You say you go to the draw every morning? I do. Mm-hmm. What's the purpose of that? Um, because if a jockey has a double call, you only find out as they're drawing for that race. So then every agent who's there calls that trainer and tries to ask to pick up the horse. So if I'm there, then potentially that trainer can put me on the horse. So, and I breathe a lot of these horses, and so it's nice to... If I know one and I recognize the name, then I feel like I'm that much closer to getting them out. How many do you breeze in a day? On weekends, like eight. And then throughout the week is a little bit lighter, maybe two or three a day. And then when Keeneland and Churchill picks up, then it becomes busy again. So the winter is always a little bit quieter. Been lucky here. We've had a fairly mild I mean, I don't like winter at all, but it's been a fairly mild winter. I mean, that, mm-hmm. that probably makes things a little easier, right? Yeah, definitely. You can feel your hands out there. It's a lot more enjoyable. But and I that, do like the snow, and we only had that ugh. really intense week around Christmas and then one other snowstorm. So since I came from California, where I don't get a lot of seasons, I appreciate having all the seasons here, and it really makes you excited for spring. But this has been a really mild winter. I liked everything about you till you said that. <laughs> and second thoughts. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Alan, uh, take it away. Uh, yeah, one thing I've, I always want to touch on with some jockeys, and I think you in particular fit this bill, Farron, because I do know kind of how you operate. Something people don't understand, I think, a lot of times, and it's, it works especially in this area because we have Churchill, Belterra, Ellis, Turfway, Keeneland, uh, Indianapolis, in Horseshoe, Indiana all within such a close uh, um, proximity to each other. When those guys are all open, you spend a, these jockeys spend a lot of time driving. I, I know you're no different, right, Farron? Right. And what do you think you, how many miles do you think you put on your car in a year? 
I have no idea, but when I put together my taxes, I'm going to figure that out. And I try not to think about it. People ask me how much I'm spending in gas. And I just think this is my investment in my career. And people who have to start a restaurant or something, they have a lot more overhead than I do. At least I'm just putting it into my car and my gas. And when we're breezing as jockeys, that's all free work we do in the morning. So it's really about getting them out in the afternoon. So it's a lot of work. But if this is the long-term goal, then it's worth it. And I want people to see how much I want it. So I want to be seen at the track every morning. And with so many tracks to cover, you do have to, you know, be willing mm. to move around a lot. So luckily, I love what I do. So that part's not hard. And I just swipe the credit card and keep my bills <laughs> in order and just go, okay, it's what I need to do to get where I want to be. Yeah, for a lot of people who don't know, I mean, where we live at, and Farrington likes and see, I'm in Louisville, but it's, it's, I mean, it's a radius here. I mean, it's like, it's two and a half hours of Ellis. It's two hours of Belterra, two hours of Horseshoe Indy. It's, it mm-hmm. is kind of a hubbub. It's a good, I guess it's a lot of good to it. You're always racing to have. Yeah, but, uh, I am grateful a- that you can race every day of the week here in the spring and summer and fall. And, you know, uh, before we get on something else, before you left for Asia, and I wanted, mm-hmm. I've wanted to touch on this with you for a while. I've talked to you briefly about it. You not only got your first win over the Keeneland Turf Course, but in my mind, because I know the history of this horse, it was kind of a redemption win. And yes. this horse's name is Shogun Warrior, okay, who got DQ'd out of a maiden win at Indiana for, I guess, running a straight line. Yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I guess. Uh, I think of all the DQs I've seen in my life, that was the most bizarre one. And Declan Cannon, if you're listening to this, you know you were the beneficiary of that. <laughs> and you know that Farron won that race. But, you know, we'll, we'll go on and on about that or whatever. Um, but Declan did get kissed up in that race. And Shogun Warrior got knocked down a second. And like a lot of things in life, maybe it was a, a godsend because – that kept him eligible and he broke his maiden at Keeneland for a much bigger purse, much more higher mm-hmm. profile win, beat a hell of a lot of good riders in that race. And I thought it was one of your uh, biggest works of art. Uh, I know you remember it. Do you want to go talk me through it a little bit? So I don't have to bore people with what I thought the ride was like. Do you remember the race? Yes, I do. I remember breaking out of the gate and going into that first turn and wanting to establish my position. And there was just a split second where a Louis Saiz is on the maker horse and I see a little gap, and I can just squeeze through him. Winning get, move. Winning get move. right outside of Ray Luke Gutierrez, who's on more of a long shot. And because um, my horse likes to be able to run in the clear, he doesn't like to be trapped on the rail inside of horses. And so that's been the benefit of riding him multiple times as I've gotten to know this horse because he's big. He's yeah, this he kind of gangly, strong colts and. Um, you know, he's one that you just want the horse to be able to relax and save himself and have some more to run. So we got in the clear, but then he's wanting to go. So then to be able to slow the pace down and then he relaxed again, he came back to me and then coming around the turn, he's another horse that, because I know this about him, he wants to kind of drift in on the rail. So I thought, well, I need to secure the rail so that he can just go in a straight path and on the turf anyways you want to close off the rail which was great because the horse that looks like he should have won the race mm-hmm. got trapped on the rail behind yes, he us did. so we just had a straight shot to the finish line so i love turf routes because they are very tactical and i know i'm a smart rider and so it allows me to be able to you know use your brain throughout different parts of the race and use your horsemanship. And again, that this is a relationship I've established with this horse and figured out his favorite way to run. Yeah. It's funny. Cause that, that race, you know, I'm not going to, I'm biased. I, uh, I bet the horse, it, I, I did well. I've done well in a, a few of years over the years, but mm-hmm. in this particular race, sometimes I was, I was like, I know what she did there. I know what she did there. I know what she did there. Right. <laughs> and it's like, I was thinking, and then and at the end, you saved just enough ground. You held enough of just horse late to keep. I can't remember the. the it was a, a long shot, a gray long shot came up. Yeah. To and, and you're right. Might have had it with a little bit better trip. Might have won, but I, I saw what you did to hold him at bay, and I thought it was a. I thought it was a masterpiece. So. Thank you. Yeah. So I, it it always sticks in my head that win, and I was, and I always thought it was redemptive because I did watch the Indiana race. I watched like four races from Indiana a year, and uh-huh. I saw that one. I'm like, 
and you got taken down and I know you're not going to say anything and stuff, but let me be your voice. That was unbelievable. That was an unbelievable DQ. Okay. Thank you. You don't, you don't have to say anything, but, uh, and again, it all worked out in the end. Yeah. I'll just say it is nice because life is unfair as we know it. And most of the time, I think we don't get to see the results of things that happen that are unfair. And so just to be able to take that in and think, okay, in this circumstance, I can see why, I mean, that was probably four or five months earlier. And for it to have that kind of a benefit that much further down the road, it was just a good reminder throughout life. Okay. We often don't understand why things happen. And usually we don't get to see it work out for our benefit, but sometimes we get these little glimpses, gives us Mm -hmm. more hope. And my only regret, like, you know, if you have regrets in life. My regret is I didn't burn Declan Cannon on that last time we had him on here because he knows he got kissed up in that one and in that race in Indiana. But maybe in the uh-huh. future, I'll get him on that. There you go. Uh, yeah. Two more questions. Two more questions for you. One thing I want to ask you about the last time we had you on. And again, I'm, I'm a little interested in this is pole vaulting. Mm-hmm. You were like a big time pole vaulter in California, right? Yeah. The reason I'm asking. And so. How in the hell does somebody get into pole vaulting? And and the I mean I know how people become baseball players, they become basketball players, they become football players. But did did your dad buy you a ten foot stick at some point when you was younger? I mean, how does one get into pole vaulting? Well, it's because my sister, she's five years older, um, she got into it first, and it was because my dad had a friend, and he had a pole vault pit in his backyard, and he was training his son, and this was in the sixth grade. So my dad said, hey, my daughter, Brittany, my older sister, she loves to climb trees. And I thought maybe she'd be a good pole vaulter because my dad had been a triple jumper. And he said on the track team, he just always thought the pole vaulters were the best athletes and that that would be the coolest sport. So he wanted one of his daughters to do it. So she picked it up, started going to this guy's house and training in his backyard. And his son ended up going on to qualify for the Olympics. So my sister started breaking all these records. And she's only 4'11", and it's a big disadvantage to be petite as a pole vaulter. So you have to be more technical, more fast. You just have to find other ways to improve yourself so that you can compete with the tall people. And um, so she's crushing all these records. So then I come along for high school, and my mom says, hey, you should try pole vaulting too, and then your dad can coach you. Because my dad became the high school pole vault coach, even though he was never a vaulter. He just picked it up by watching, and he was really good. He was really technical, and um, he just is a very talented coach. So I said, well, I just want to ride my horse, and I don't want anything to take away time from that. She said, well, just give it a try. So then I break my sister's freshman record, and then I break her JV record, and then end up breaking her varsity high school record. And um, so... It was cool, though, because she was able to coach me through it. She was in college during my time in high school. And then luckily we went to different universities. So her college record still stands. But I have 11 records in the pole vault. And it's been amazing just how much that helps me with race riding. I remember my first race, I wasn't nervous. And you just hear so many bug riders talk about, you know, they barely know what's going on in the race because of just the stress and the adrenaline And horses can really feel that, too, to be able to be confident with the pressure. And I really rise to the occasion with pressure. And that's something with pole vault that makes a great pole vaulter different from a mediocre pole vaulter. Because as the bar gets higher, it's easier to let it get to your head and you start changing your technique because you're trying too hard to get over the bar. But you have to keep consistently and just doing the perfect vault each time. And as it's getting higher, you're getting more tired because you're further along in the competition. So learning to compete under pressure and especially when you're breaking records where the whole stadium is stopped and the announcer is, you know, telling everyone that you're going for this and everything's quiet and it's just you and the runway. So that's pretty unique at a a track meet where everything's kind of going on at once and it's loud. So I've had that opportunity a lot. So it's really helped me in this career. Looking back, just seeing what that did for me and even knowing how to train myself now because I was a division one athlete and had, you know, professional weightlifting coaches and different coaches for everything you do, sprinting coaches and then the pole vault coach. So it just really helps you develop yourself in multiple aspects. 
I didn't know there was that much to pole vaulting. <laughs> I mean, do you do you get to do it anymore? I mean, do you just get hey, I'm oh yeah, you want to go sometimes? <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure, that'd be a great <laughs> idea. I'll watch you do it. I mean, where where would you do it at? No, that's the problem. Uh, ever since the last time I competed for my university, and it was, um, I guess, one of the um, championship title meets. Um, that was the last time that I've ever wow. done it because it's just one of those sports you can't really go casually do it. Yes. And you know, like where you're supposed to take off depending on your stride length. So if you're not in the same sprinting form and you know what length of pole you're supposed to be on for that stride. So just a lot of things. So, you know, I could do something small, but to have fun and to do it at the level that I was doing it at, I would want to actually seriously do it. And that was, I mean, in college, we were training six days a week. So it was intense. And it was usually three hours of practice because we'd do sprinting, we'd do pole vaulting, we'd do weightlifting. Who had, I had no idea there was that much. I tell you what, I'll go with you to pole vault. And let me get my wife to check uh, the life insurance policy, okay? See if she, yeah. her and the kids are taken care of. If it covers uh-huh. paralysis. And then, yeah. and then the game on, all right? Game I sprained on. my neck once. I had to wear a neck brace for six weeks. But a week after that, I took it off to go run the 4 by 4 relay because it was the league meet, and I didn't want to let my relay team down. But they said, well, you can't really run it with a neck brace. So, so you're a took it off, warrior. and they didn't know. <laughs> Damn. Uh, all right, one last question. We've kept you too long, but uh, you're inspiring, to say the least. Uh, I alluded to it earlier. You do drive a lot. I mean, it's just part of the nature of being a jockey, particularly in this area. And if you know me, I like music. I drive a lot. I run a little bit. I work out a little bit. So I've always got something going in my ears and stuff. Uh, usually not something better than this crappy old podcast. Um, what is on your most recent playlist? What's on there? I will not make fun of you, but no matter what's on there. But if I don't like the answer, I may send you my own playlist. But uh, what, what are you listening to? Oh, okay. To? We could share. Um, I like if I'm working out. Or I need something uplifting. It depends on my mood. Then I want some pump up. I want some Shakira. I like Sia too. She's passionate. If I want to get in the zone, I might listen to some praise music. So it just depends on where I need to get my mindset to for the next thing. I knew all those people. I mean, I know praise music. But I knew Sia. Did you know know Sia and Shakira, right, Cece? Who? Cece, you don't listen to these? (laughs) I've heard of Shakira. Who's the other one? I, I didn't hear See ya. Uh, see ya. She's oh, yeah. Song. She has yeah. the she's, wig. Yeah, you don't see her face. Is she attractive? Or is she just hiding the fact that she's unattractive? What's the deal with that? I like it. She's mysterious. Okay, cool. So that's your most listened to thing. I'm still going to send you some old man stuff that your dad probably... And I like some of the classics. When my dad and I would go to track meets, we listen a lot to Queen and ELO. ELO, hey, there's a good one there. All right, that's cool. All right. Mm-hmm. Have you ever heard of a performer named Elvis Presley? Yeah, I've <laughs> heard of him. He's still alive, right? You, you yeah, know, in the Bahamas. Mm-hmm. Have you seen the movie, Farron? You probably don't get a chance to watch many movies. No. You're always on the go, but I will tell you this. That's one you need to watch. He's, uh, it's worth it's it. an amazing movie. Amazing performance. That's worth watching, okay? Okay. If you ever get two hours... To sit on your butt, <laughs> which I don't think has ever happened. But uh-huh. if you don't get two hours, that's worth it, you know. Okay. It's rain Good or it's cold or whatever. Elvis. So make it a point. Okay. All right. Well, we do thank you, Farron. Unless CC had anything else he wanted to cover with uh, you. One more. I'm going to practice my investigative journalist skills. Oh, okay. Let's do this. Okay. Our, friend, our friend of the show, Jerome Frank Miller, has posted a picture to Facebook in the last hour. Uh-oh. And it's it's apparently you on a gray. I don't know if it's Colt or Philly horse, but he's leading. The horse. Can, is, this is a Philly. Can you tell mm-hmm. us anything about this? This is mysterious. He just posted this like and didn't did with no context. Oh, interesting. Well, I guess I could tell you her name. I breezed her this afternoon. Her name is Beach Kitten, and she did run at Turfway. I know the horse. So hopefully they will you? use her race soon. And I'll get to ride her to victory. Well, last question. We know uh, Mr. Miller, uh, also known as Trailer Park Trash, mm-hmm. has a uh, he has a he, in his past career he was a uh, a pro wrestler. My my question to you is: Do you think you could take him? 
Yeah, we were actually talking about that this morning as we came off the track. Um, they all make fun of me because I had a black eye last year because I had a horse hit me in the face loading in the starting gate. So they call me slugger still. And so they were saying, hey, sluggers with tra- trailer park trash. And I said, yeah, I better win for him. Otherwise, there's going to be a fight in the winner's circle. <laughs> so be ready for that race. Uh, okay, well, you might be able to beat him in the ring. We're in a different ring. weight class, though. I don't know if that's fair. Can you outswear him? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. I've heard stories. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't got, even I've... think I know those words. <laughs> yeah. I'm a fan, Farron, and I, I believe in your physicality, but I – I'm taking I'm taking Jerome in that. <laughs> He's one to nine. He's secretariat. <laughs> yeah. No shot on him. Yeah. All right, Baron. We do appreciate it. We're so glad to have you back in the country. You really do do important work. It's important that people know the work you do. It's important to know uh, that people know that there's other things like that going on in the world and stuff. Just the fact that they lost their pick five. So it's uh, yeah. <laughs> it's 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 admirable to say the least. And we appreciate you doing it. And we appreciate you coming out with us. You know you're welcome anytime. Thank you. I enjoy being on the show and talking to you guys. Thanks again, Farron, and we will talk to you soon. You're welcome. Talk to you later. Farron Peterson, as always, a, a wonderful conversation and a really great person. It really, it really is. A, I, I think we've only touched the depths of her humanitarian work overseas. Uh, there's more to it, uh, a lot more that, you know, we didn't get to or whatever, but uh, I mean, she'll be doing it again in the future. So between winning races and saving humanity, I mean, she's a good friend to have. I didn't know about the whole um, the pole vaulting and the gymnastics stuff. I, I didn't. I had no clue about all, well, not gymnastics, but you know what I'm saying. Um, I, she quest- doesn't sleep. She doesn't sleep. So I don't. Uh, know. I mean, I guess she has time to do all that stuff. <laughs> could you Could you pole vault? Hell no. What's the, could you pole vault like eight feet if you had six months to prepare and there was a six pack of Miller Lite on the other side? Uh, you know, maybe because, you know, despite my old age, I mean, I joke about it a lot and I actually am about 25, 30 pounds overweight. Uh, I mean, I'm in decent shape for my age, honestly. Now, I would have to shed that weight and this left knee would have to improve a little bit. But maybe in time I could get over, like, I don't know. I'm, I have no idea how you pole vault. But I used to be moderately athletic, you know, when I was younger and stuff. So, but pole vaulting, I mean, I used to jump off a garage and dunk a basketball. Is that just, That's got to be kind of the same thing, right? What? Yeah, you never do have like, You jump you have off a two, garage? Not jump off a garage. You have, like, a two-door a, a two door garage, and there would be a uh-huh. brick a brick row below it. So you just jump off the brick wall and then dunk on a 10-foot goal. I mean, yeah, I used to be able to do that. That's, gotcha. But that's really not as impressive as it sounds. It's not like jumping 14 feet in the air like she does. So, I don't know. Pole vault to me sounds impossible, but you think you could do it? No, they don't make a strong enough pole for me. <laughs> that's what I was like. That, that thing like a toothpick. So, I wanted to ask her more, and maybe I asked her in person. He's like, when you, when you do go pole vault, and it's like, how do you transport that? Are you, are you taking that in your Toyota Corolla? You're having a 12 foot, I don't know how long they are, hanging out your car window. How do you, how do you, how do you do that stuff? I don't know. I never thought about that. Maybe you have to, you, I don't know. I mean, you transform by a, by 18 wheeler. Maybe they unscrew like a pull cue. I don't know. We'll ask her. All right. Anyway. Uh, Final notes. Uh, I didn't touch on the wither stakes at Aqueduct. There's a, there's a horse we probably should follow. He seems like he's just about improved every start. And I'm talking about a horse named Shit Show from the uh, <laughs> Brad Cox farm for Gary and Mary West. I see what uh, you did there. I read it wrong. I'm sorry. It's Hit Show. Hit, Hit show. show. Hit Show. Okay. Yeah. The son of Candy Ride out of a tappet mare named Actress. Actress. Yes. As I call won the Black Eyed Susan. Black Eyed Susan. I had a big score on her, but that that was that Philly was trading by Jason Service back in the day. But she has produced a good one in Hit Show, and uh, horse easily won the Withers at nine furlongs. And I got a feeling that his this horse is probably bear some watching going forward. So I did not see the race. I'll take your word for it. And uh, last but not least, Turfway reopens Wednesday. There's a horse in here on Wednesday that I like. I'm going to single in the pick five. There's two of them. Actually, I'm going to single. 
uh, race six, excuse me, yeah, race six from John Hancock, number four, Icy Stare. That's my single du jour. I believe the, that horse ran, let's see, I, I know these horses off the top of my head, but I, this one, did that horse run a straight maiden at Churchill against one of Sarah yes. Hamilton's horses? Mm, yeah. I, I don't remember that, but the horse ran in one of those maiden auction races at Churchill. Fish yes. horse. Came cool. back. Yeah, came back, set the pace of Turfway in a straight maiden race, and, and was beaten by Nam de Plume. Uh, Miss JD is the Sarah's filly that finished third. And then uh, last time, another straight maiden race, she couldn't get to the lead, kind of checked and checked and checked again. And uh, she finished uh, 10th out of 12. Now they're dropping her from maiden special weight to 15,000. I think she, I think she's going to win, unless there's something wrong with her that we don't know about. But, yeah, that's that's my single. And then there's another single. Uh, is a heavy favorite, seven to five favorite in the last race, I think. Uh, who is it? Uh, you'll know the horse when you, uh, it's, uh, number eight, Lady Lowry. This is, uh, Munnings Philly trained by Will Walden that oh. took some early money and then went off eight to one. She rallied to finish second. She should win under Jack Gilligan, previous podcast host or guest, excuse me. So I was going to say, you know, I realized the other day watching like turfway races. There'd be times we, uh, we, there'll be like nine horses in a race at Turf, and every horse in there we had one of the guests, somebody associated with that horse, whether it be the jockey, the trainer we had, we had on the podcast. Right. Yeah. Uh, we, we've been doing this for a while now, so. Yeah, almost three, almost three years, three years in May. Is it really? Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, so I haven't looked at that card yet, but I'll, I'll take a look at it. Whether I play it or not, I don't know. My wife's birthday is tomorrow. It's Valentine's Day. Happy birthday. My wife's birthday is always on his Valentine's Day, so it's a special day uh, for her. So that's whether I get to look at it or not, we'll see. But uh, I wish you the best of luck. I wish Farron needs to get more mounts. Anybody, I mean, there's a talented rider people need to need to bring on, right? We didn't touch on that. Farron, my God, put her on your horses, right? Well, she's obviously intelligent. So that's, intelligent, that's yeah, incredible athlete. So, uh, yeah, Will Walden, caller. <laughs> right, absolutely. Well, he's based at Keeneland, so I mean, she's right down the road. So. Yeah. All right, that's it. That's all I've got. That's enough. Happy Valentine's Day to you. Thank you. I guess. <laughs> all right, on behalf. Of Alan Schneider, Brandon Jaggers, who did not join us again tonight, Farron Peterson, and a cast of thousands. CC brought us reminding you the gambling money ain't got no home.